well there. That is a very peculiar transition between my silly podcast theme and this mellow ghost music, which is the subject of the podcast today. Hi, folks. Dev. Hi. Hi. How you holding in? You doing okay? My hope is that you are. My hope is that through the um, the strangeness of this period, uh, you're finding untapped pools of resilience. I know it's been uh, pretty intense for the past little while. On a personal level, I have compounded that intensity by creating this um, piece of work that I have been pursuing for the past few months called The Puzzle. And I'm at the tail end of it now. I've got about uh, 10 days, 12 days, until I have a deadline in which I'm supposed to deliver the audio and the artwork. I've got an extra window of time after that to finish off the short film and the graphic novel and things of that nature, primarily because the turnaround time for vinyl at this point is anywhere between five and eight months. It's been uh, uh, every aspect of our life, whether or not professionally or personally, has been affected by this last year. And I think it's been a good opportunity for me in some ways to recognize more of the truth of where I have been versus the projection of where I uh, would like to portray myself as having been. And by that I mean, I think it's very easy if you are able to manipulate audio or visuals, you know, Pro Tools or Premiere or any of these these programs as an artist to present yourself as this kind of stylized or idealistic version of who you want people to perceive you as. I have to work with social media, well, for a number of reasons. First off, without it being lip service, I uh, really appreciate having an audience. I really appreciate having a tolerant audience. I really, I really appreciate having an audience that will tolerate me following these creative inclinations wherever they go. And as a result of that, the most practical way to participate with an audience is through social media. But I'm sure you've noticed that each social media platform has its own kind of aura for lack of a better term. Twitter, which is typically the easiest for me, is uh, admittedly a, uh, a, it can be at least, a toxic environment where there is a lot of outrage, whether real or imagined. I find that the people who I'm fortunate to participate with. A lot of them I know or are friends of mine. It's been a very pleasant environment. 
barring a couple of situations, but, you know, you just have to let those go. So I tend to participate in that. I don't get to respond as much as I would like, just based on the workload lately, which admittedly has been enormous. I'll get into that in a moment. Uh, Instagram is... That one irritates me. I'm not sure why. I think there's an aspect of just watching people perform uh, all the time on it that I I interpret as being uh, maybe desperate. As I scroll through the feed, it's just people in these well-lit environments uh, playing you know, paradiddles and sweep arpeggios and I haven't explored TikTok. I don't have the patience for that one at this point. I've never been on Facebook, which has been a blessing. Only because the people uh, whom I know are on it often have uh, remarked to me that they wish they had never started. <laughs> But I mean, I want to be able to, to continue to participate. And in the beginning of the pandemic, it was my daily routine was to participate. So I would write a song to do the quarantine series, and then we would do the, the streaming concerts, and then the Twitch streams, and then I started doing these podcasts. And I actually really enjoyed the opportunity to do that. But as these things tend to go with me and potentially with, with other people who are wired uh, to be uh, able to articulate their emotional state through their work, when the compulsion hits for me to, to dig into it, I feel like you're, you're, what's the best way to phrase it without it sounding as metaphysical as maybe it comes across, because that's not what I mean, but you're in service of it. And I think there's been a certain amount of, of people that, that maybe misinterpret that way of thinking. When I say, as an artist, I feel in service of the art, or you are, uh, you are privy to the images or the sound, and then your your role is to actualize them to the best of your ability. Some people interpret that as being, uh, you know, I don't know, like you're channeling it, or you're, or it's not coming from you, or or what have you. And frankly, I I'm not clever enough to have a reasonable argument for that other than I don't believe that. <laughs> what I feel is that art and music is uh, intangible and it is the product of, I don't know, maybe the collective unconscious and then each one of us through our own unique experiences slash biases slash uh, hangups are able to interpret these more universal themes 
and it filters through your trip, right? So your identity is imprinted on it. But ultimately, for anybody to either claim music or art as being theirs or to view the intangible nature of music and art as being something malevolent is absurd to me. It's just we're, we're grateful to be artists. And so my job is to follow it where it leads and then articulate it to the best of my ability, no matter what it is. What I find determines what my creative output will be is a number of things. First off, it's your, your environment, your life. And when I first started working on the puzzle, I remember thinking, I don't want to write this. Uh, let me rephrase that. It's not that I didn't want to write it. It just seemed in opposition to what I was hoping would happen. But that allowed me to perhaps explore what it means to have expectations. In some sense, being so firmly tied to your assumptions of what will happen when life rarely works out exactly as you planned sets you up for a constant sort of disappointment that in many ways is brought on by your own hand. If you have an assumption of what life should be or what you're owed or what the perfect relationship should be. Or, you know, I had planned to go on vacation and then a pandemic hit. Or I talked to some musician friends earlier today and they're saying, you know, I had planned on being on tour. And it's not fair is basically how I would paraphrase the conversations. It's not fair that that didn't happen. And in a similar sense, when I first started sitting down and trying to be creative during this period, my hope was that there would be a, a degree of, of calm that I could exude. And as a result of that, be able to present it to an audience when we're all in our own ways and to varying degrees suffering and be able to say it's okay listen here's some here's some music that I uh, hope will will calm you down will provide some sort of comfort but what I hadn't taken into consideration is how little how little compassion I was having for myself during all of this. And by that I mean I'm not qualified, for example, to lead people. And in fact, anytime I, I see people who, who their artwork, in my opinion, is in opposition to what I get from them as a person. Yet they're 
reason for doing it is on the surface overtly and vocally I'm trying to help I tend to view that with a certain degree of suspicion and I don't think that wanting to help is a negative trait at all because at the root of it that is what I want to do that's my goal but like the old adage that I've mentioned several times during these these talks you need to put your own air mask on before you can help others so if you really do want to help people which I do of course I mean of course why wouldn't you I think what needed to happen for me is I needed to be shook into the realization that who I thought I was in the face of this is actually slightly different than who I am. I think that there's something that happens with people who tend to be uh, interested in spiritual development or any of these sorts of things where you fetishize what it is that you would like to be to the point where you deny what you actually are so when puzzles started being written I was like oh my god this is this is chaos if this is an indicator of the internal state right now I don't want to do this but then by day by day whenever I sat and wrote I recognized that it was inevitable in the same ways that every album that I've made throughout my career has been inevitable it has been a product of not only my my situation but also my development there's some years that I've progressed there's some years I've regressed but I like to think overall things are progressing and I remember when I started digging into the puzzle stuff and it started becoming so complicated and so chaotic and parts of it are so dark and I thought wow are you really here is this really where you are and there's a couple of things that occurred with that that I found very productive in the past I feel that whenever I would go down an avenue such as that and it's typically based on fear which this year has been rife with there's no question I'm certainly not exempt from this but in the past and this is where I believe there's progress that has been made I felt like I was what is the term incumbent to that in that there's no option to curb that tide and it wasn't until perhaps empath where I started recognizing that although you are um, drawn towards certain sounds certain vibes certain songs certain lyrics that doesn't necessarily mean that is what you need to do and often for me creatively what is behind that fear 
that I have of the work is perhaps a truth about myself that you know I'm reluctant to face and something else that started happening during puzzle as well is I recognize that the guilt that I have felt throughout my entire life you know and the questions that I have about the creative process or you know anything things that I've said in the past or habits or anything the guilt of those things serves zero purpose and in fact when you are participating with things that you feel guilty about on some level you're taking something that's already intrinsically not quote unquote quote unquote right for you and then compounding that with the guilt so there's some problems but what are some solutions so the solutions for me are to try to actualize these things because clearly if this particular music if this particular piece of work wants to come out there's nothing I can do about it it's just I mean I could I could put it aside and vomit out a bunch of songs that sound similar to things that I've done in the past and wrap them up in some sort of Hallmark card you know greeting that is sellable or you can take what your intuition is telling you is the right place for you to explore in your creative mindset and then figure out why it's a compulsion puzzles clear of course we're in a pandemic that has been traumatic to all of us again to varying degrees and myself to varying degrees but more so how I see it affect people whom I care about that's been the hardest part and I'm sure there's some that can relate to that I feel that in a vacuum I can I can typically be okay but you've got you know teenage kids that are suffering elderly parents that are suffering families that haven't seen each other for months divisiveness in society politically or or ideologically and I find that the most upsetting so exploring that chaos it became clear to me pretty quickly upon digging into this set of material that has become the puzzle that this should not come as any surprise to you and the fact that it came as a surprise to me in the beginning led me to believe that my assumptions of who I was going into this was perhaps a little more rose-colored than reality would end up proving and that has ultimately been very healthy so the solution came with okay we'll turn the tide find a narrative in this 
group of material. So if, you know, there's friends of mine who have, who have passed away over the past year and, and friends of mine whose parents have passed away all due to this scenario that we're living in. And to, number one, not allow yourself to participate in that uh, pain is unhealthy because I feel it will come out in different ways. And up to this year, maybe a couple of years, I've been very reticent to allow myself to cry, for example. Perhaps, you know, there's the there's the ideal of what it means to be a, a male or a father or a husband or the provider or any of these these things that are in opposition to overt displays of emotion, even if even if they're in private, because society has deemed those sorts of things indicators of weakness. However, what tended to happen in the past as well is, you know, the grandparents would pass away, but I wouldn't process it. It's almost like the pain of it was too, it was too real. And it was much easier for me to rationalize those heavy emotions by intellectualizing them or wrapping them with platitudes. Again, the hallmark thing or all these silly spiritual self-help books that have all these, you know, phrases that people brandy about that, that mean nothing. It means nothing. A lot of it is just posturing. And I admit to being guilty of that on occasion as well. So having experienced all this this year and having no place to run from it, you know, you can't go on tour. Any forms of escape are all all full of problems. There's no where to run. So sitting with that pain and really participating in it brought all these emotions to the surface. And I recognized that as a result of my creative process, simply being Whatever music comes out of me is the exhaust of a process of trying to just cope sounds too dramatic, but I think you know what I mean. To try and deal with this. And music was the outlet that was available to me as, as a kid, right? And so when I started recognizing that the chaos that I was hearing in the puzzle music was completely rational. I think I'm in fear and have been for many years of being perceived as being mentally unstable. And I think the mistakes that I made when I was younger, as I've documented throughout this series, ultimately resulted in, in large degrees of embarrassment. And I have felt sensitive past that point 
to people thinking, oh, you're insane or you're crazy or the fact that you write something that is as visceral as any number of these things that I've produced is an indicator of some sort of uh, unbalance. And I think this is another place where making this puzzle project has been very healthy for me. Because when it first started coming out, I was thinking, oh, it's crazy. It's insane. It's insane. That must mean this is me. That must mean that I am clearly unstable. But then I started thinking, fuck yeah, you are, man. Like, look at this shit. Look what's going on this year. If I had written something other than the puzzle, I think that would have been the most disingenuous reaction to this year that I could have produced. So instead of a concise, tight record of 10 songs that, you know, offer some sort of um, advice or solutions for people and all this sort of shit, which I'm clearly unqualified to give, I was like, fuck it, just make what you feel. And not only make what you feel, Make it with all your friends. Make it with 50 people. Make it with people from all walks of life. Make it with the people that work at the gear companies that are great musicians and great friends. Make it with your friends. And, you know, I wanted to get different languages on there and different players and choirs and orchestras, which on the surface sounds like it might be you know, a, a more symphonic or, or organized piece of work, but it isn't. It is a stream of conscience that changes every 30 seconds to elaborate, logical, musically uh, speaking, logical uh, shifts in tone or dynamic or, or, or tonality. But the instrumentation of it is insane it's it's just really like a tense sound and very dark you know there's like sirens and and just monolithic slabs of dirt and atonal echoes sort of colliding into strange dissonant chords and, and, and passages, but each one of these things are completely intentional. So although on the surface it sounds like a 50-car pileup in downtown Manhattan, when you really listen to it, when you put it on headphones, and don't try and perceive it as an album, you know, like the follow-up to Transcendence or Epicloud or anything like that, but if you just listen to it as an audio movie that in my estimation was written without protecting myself without trying to pretend like I had my shit together without trying to pretend like I had answers without trying to pretend like I wasn't afraid 
or I wasn't sad. I think that a lot of people will relate to it. And my experience thus far with the people who have heard it, you know, I grit my teeth and I'm like, ah, what do you think of this? There was a producer friend of mine that listened to it last night. And at the end, he goes, that's fucking phenomenal. And I was like, really? <laughs> Those are his words, not mine. I would never... I would never... Maybe I would. It's pretty good. <laughs> but the problem then lie lay with how do you make a statement out of this that isn't open-ended because for all the things that I've just explained there's a caveat that I would put into this description and that is it's okay to participate in these things it's okay to be afraid it's okay to be depressed it's okay to be angry these are all things I've learned over the past couple of decades. But it's important for me to offer some sort of solution to these questions. And when I say that, I don't mean going back to what I had said a minute ago that I have answers, but more so, if I'm working with somebody, for example, and we run into a problem on a business level, Say we're, we're creating a product together. They're responsible for a certain part of it. They send it to me. I don't like it for a number of reasons. So how, as somebody who is an employer and a creative, do you react to that without capsizing the boat? So I think I've worked with people, as I'm sure many of you have, whose reaction to that would be, Oh, it's wrong, it's shit, and that's it. This is the ways that you need to change it, or, or what have you. But I find that in a period like this where everybody is dealing with this oddness, compounding problems like that, like, you know, pieces of the work that aren't lining up, I'd say a good 75% of the people that I work with on a daily basis are suffering depression to some degree. And in order to get through a period that is problematic, the workload is massive, the personal things that are going on between all of us are extensive. Like who knows what these people are dealing with, with their parents or their you know, their in-laws got into a fight with their, whatever it is. Everybody's got these battles that they're waging or fighting to compound that with just criticism without solutions means that you're, you're going to get nothing done. Because people will just, they just, no one has the energy for that now. I mean, many people do not. 
So if somebody feels like they've put out more effort than they were actually even capable of doing with the frame of mind that they're in, and then that's met with criticism without solutions, I find that it just brings things to a stalemate. And I felt that when I was working with the puzzle in the beginning, the music that had presented itself was essentially... Well, the analogy would be its criticism. It's it's unfettered. It's ugly if it needs to be. It's uh, imposing, ominous, crazy. It's it's somewhere between say deconstruction and dev lab, with a couple of moments in there that are that are quiet. So by the end of it, I started thinking, I can't just do this. I need this to be a solution as well. And so the solution came by recognizing one night, laying in bed, you know how this pandemic has gone. You wake up at four in the morning and you're just like, oh my God, (laughs) here I am. And here's all these thoughts. Buckle up. But there was one night where that was happening and I thought, it's within your power. Even if for no one else, even if not for the audience, but it's within your power to offer solutions for yourself. Because no one is, no one is responsible for my happiness except for me. And during a period like this, where our ability to stay balanced or focused is constantly being tested and compromised, it's easy to think that it is not within our capacity to create something that turns these internal tides for us so that we can get up in the morning and we can get this work done and we can proceed and be of service to not only the art, but the people who rely on you to not lose it. And then I thought, okay, well, what you need to do is you need to write a second record. And that second record needs to be something that for me helps me relax. Something that's just beautiful. And I would like it conceptually to be all part of the same thing. So use the same group of people who have participated in Puzzle, but with just a different aesthetic. And the result became this film, which is a lot more work than I expected, to be perfectly honest. But the ultimate goal of that is to make an analogy of this period that essentially says the puzzle is our ability as individuals to recognize that we are not our thoughts. We are not our thoughts. And to clarify that so it sounds less hippy-dippy, let's take an example. 
When I was a kid, I got bit by a dog when I was very young. As a result of that pain and that fear, I've had a very challenging relationship with dogs ever since. I love dogs. I think they're perfect, beautiful souls, but I still am afraid of them. And that's because that imprint from when I was a child, essentially hardwired into my psychology, dogs equal pain. As an adult, I can recognize that that's what's going on. And it's easy for me, as I'd said earlier, to intellectualize that. But intellectualizing your psychological process is in a lot of ways just a masturbatory exercise. And so you can sit around at a coffee shop and, you know, jerk each other off about how clever you are. Yeah. So then say, for example, you've suffered abuse as a child, psychological, physical, whatever the case may be. A lot of times the same mechanism will be at play where this particular thing, whatever it is, alcohol or, or sex or anything is then equated to pain. And in our in our quest to be at peace, which I believe ultimately, at least I am, and I wouldn't be so bold as to say everybody is, but that's my assumption. It's just inevitable that you'll, you'll avoid these things. Yet when I say the point of the puzzle is to recognize that you're not your thoughts, to solve the puzzle means every decision that we make is a byproduct of all of these things that we've experienced. And by recognizing that pattern, not necessarily, like I say, intellectualizing it, but seeing it and recognizing that you as an entity are not that pain. And all these decisions that you've made in, in avoiding those scenarios have created a life for all of us. You know, I know my life is a direct byproduct of all of these things that I've experienced and continue to experience. And during the pandemic, there's been this real tangible awareness that the fear we feel the anxiety we feel, the depression we feel. In a lot of ways, it's up to us as individuals. I'm trying to find the right words here to cope with that. And not only to cope with it from the perspective of how it's going to affect our lives personally. But as someone who is visible to whatever degree I'm visible, as somebody whose work, again, to lesser, greater degrees affects people, 
it's not just about you. And I've often spoken about accountability in terms of art. And I admit that as I do these podcasts, I mean, I'm figuring it out. I don't know, man. (laughs) You know, like, I don't know. But I want to. And the music comes from trying to figure it out. And not only try to figure it out, but also admit when you're at fault. And to be able to say, listen, that was my assumption. But since then, I've experienced X. And this is my reevaluation of it. But more so than a reevaluation, what I would like to do is refine my definition of what it means to be accountable. If there's people that have an emotional investment in the work and it's within your capacity, no matter how hard it is, to find ways to pick yourself back up, then that is a huge part of the job. saw something the other day and just said it was actually Tony Robbins which I don't actually participate but he just came up on my Twitter feed but it was a good quote he said something about it's not your fault if you get brought to your knees but it is your fault if you don't get back up and maybe the term fault is a bit heavier handed than I would choose but I did appreciate the sentiment because I feel that as someone making music two things come into play number one it's imperative that I follow the creative inclinations where they go knowing full well that my psychological states and the states of my immediate environment are going to affect that. That being said, it's also up to me to make sure that I can find what is trying to be said through that material and not allow it to be what it often seems to be on the surface. If, for example, I just allowed this particular period of work to be abject chaos, an ominous foreboding sounds, without any consideration of how to get out of that, how to find ways to move forward, how to find ways to move forward, then that is a type of lack of accountability that for me personally uh, I feel for myself is something that I absolutely want to be aware of so here I am 10 days before having to deliver the puzzle and the second record the tragically named Snuggles And as I think I've mentioned, perhaps in the podcast before, but if not, I'm sure I've beaked off about it on Twitter or something. 
I never know what a record means until the end. I think because I'm clearly still figuring it out and I'm clearly making assumptions as to what the creative process means or is or isn't. Again, I, I do not claim to know. One thing that I can say for sure is after making 30 records, box sets, all these things, there's patterns that emerge. And one of the biggest recognitions of patterns that I've had is that the records and their intention reveal themselves to me when I'm right at the end. Because by that point, all the pieces are in play. And I listen back to it more so from an observational point of view rather than a uh, constructive point of view. Constructive being like putting the parts together is what I mean by that. And at that point, you can say, oh, that's where you were. There's been certain records in the past, which I've discussed, where once it was finished and that process began of being able to hear it objectively towards the end, I thought, oh God, what have I done? Alien. Infinity. And it's not less so infinity. But it's not that I it's not that I dislike the statement because when these ideas come my role any artist's role is to do it to the best of your ability so when that vision is in your head for what a song wants to be what an album wants to be then my job is to get it right and follow it so you know this is why by the end of projects puzzle for example is this chaotic thing but it had to have an orchestra on it it had to have choirs on it it had to could i have done it other ways yes why did i not because in service to the idea it's imperative to honor it that's how i feel about music and differently than a record like Alien, where I went into it without any sense of accountability. And incidentally, I believe that the lesson I needed to learn from that particular part of my creative life was that, was the concept of artistic accountability. What you put out there comes back. With Puzzle, I listened to it last night, and I was like, it, speaking of making me cry, Puzzle busts me up in ways that uh, rarely records have. But it's not because it's, you know, <laughs> some deep lyrical thing that is touching a part of me that uh, you know can't be expressed in other ways no it is it exemplifies the most fucked up year that we've ever had well 
I can't say that for everybody. There's people who have had much more fucked up years than this based on things that regrettably they've had to suffer through. But just as a generalization, come on, this year has been fucked up in every way. And so when I heard it, I was like, oh my God, that's exactly it. It's exactly it. And it just, it just killed me. It was just so powerful to me. But it was also powerful with the awareness that this is not, you know, album of the year. This is not song of the year. This is something that, frankly, 70% of the people who pay attention to what I do would, I would, I would highly suggest, you know, you listen to it first. Because I'd hate to think of people spending money on something that they end up just going like, what? I don't want to hear this shit, man. But for me, last night, I was just like, oh, thank God. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And here's why that's important to me. Because I got it out of my system. And I found a solution to that puzzle in a certain sense. And that solution is, I guess, easiest to... Easiest to... What's the term I'm looking for? Oh, I don't know. Put in one place. I'm sure you'll find the the term for that. (laughs) It's easy for me to put in one place by saying... Without the purging of this, you wouldn't have dealt with this. All the platitudes, all the, you know, think positive and you got to go through what you're going through to get where you're going and, you know, all the fortune cookie shit. I think it's easy for me to end up buying that, you know, you do something and you think, yeah, that's who I am for sure. I'm the type of guy who's centered. So we had a a situation in my family recently that was hilarious to me that I would like to tell you this little story because it goes right in line with this. And that's the story is essentially I've been doing my best to keep it together during all this period as we all have. And I think in my own mind, I'm like, wow, I'm pretty together. You know, I got my shit together all right here. Then my family, son, wife, parents, I had made a mention that I felt I was fairly calm and fairly together. And they were all looking at each other like, excuse me? And they said, you're the most high-strung person we know. And I was like, no, 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 no. And then I phoned up my buddies 
And I was like, let me tell you what happened, man. It kind of bummed me out. Everybody's saying that I'm high strung and that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just barely keeping it together. And they're like, what, you didn't know that? You didn't see that about yourself? No one's saying you're not keeping it together. But man, you are, you are on Amber Alert at all times. And I found it at first embarrassing, but then it was really helpful because I was able to recognize in the music that I've been writing with Puzzle, it's like, of course this is where you're at, dude. And thank God you're privy to it. You know, thank God you're not blind to it. Because the best way to work through these things, in my opinion, is to admit it and say, hey, you know what? This is upsetting. This has been stressful. This has been challenging. I got knocked to my knees. How do you get back up? Artistically. For me, that's, that's what I do. I do music. How do I get back up? Specifically, if your work is meant to be an analogy for this process, how do you find a solution? And what really became clear to me with Puzzle is don't deny where you're at. Don't feel guilty about feeling what you feel just because society or Instagram or any of these things portray strength in a certain way or they portray the ideal of any number of things a certain way. What do you feel? Do you feel like you need to take a break? Do you feel like you're afraid of your own mind? Do you feel like the fear that keeps us up at night is ultimately this insurmountable thing and if you do feel that way, it doesn't mean that there's no solutions. But I feel that the solutions come only after recognizing, yes, I do feel that way. I think that's a form of compassion for yourself too. Because I know that in the past, due to a number of factors, if I would admit something to myself like that, like, yes, you're afraid. Yes, this is upsetting. Yes, you miss your grandma, whatever it is. There's a part that just says, well, you shouldn't feel that way. These are not appropriate emotional responses. Society does not deem those to be worthy. Therefore, because you're trying to fit in, you're trying to make a living, you're trying to you know, participate, you should quell that. So I feel that the chaos of this puzzle project is potentially one of the most therapeutic pieces of work that I've ever done. I do feel that although my producer buddy the other night was very complimentary and I was flattered by that 
I don't know, man. I don't know. But here's the other side of it. Earlier I said, the ideas warrant doing it to the best of your ability. The ideas warrant commitment to that creative idea to its furthest extent, to as far as you are capable of going. That's what I feel. So what I've done with Puzzle is not only is it this fucked up mess of music that has a conclusion that has been very helpful to me and it has an awareness to it of my own needs that are independent from anything that perhaps my career would be best suited to follow. You know, maybe it'd be better for me to make a bunch of songs like Angel or Kingdom or Deadhead and and just sort of phone it in. Deader head. Bigger kingdom. You know? That would make more sense on some level. But I just feel so fortunate to be able to do music. That it comes with this obligation, this sense of obligation that it's like the puzzle has come into your world. So make it exactly what it's asking to be. And again, I don't say asking in some metaphysical weirdness. Just if you're creative, you know. Art asks you to do things. I wish I was more articulate so that I could put that in a way that didn't leave itself open for interpretation. But So what I did with puzzles, I put orchestras and choirs and the box set that we're releasing has video screens in it and dolls and toys and graphic novels and it's insane. It's insane the amount of effort that is going into making this crazy thing what it asked, quote unquote, to be. There's a lot of fear that comes with that on a practical level. And I think that the regret that I've had recently is because I get so single-minded with it, the people that allow me to do these sorts of things, I feel like I neglect by not doing the podcasts or not doing the Twitch streams or not doing... But man, am I ever single-minded. Holy cow. I think I've told this story before, but it's worth saying again. My wife would say, I need you to fix the back door. And I say, I'll do it next Thursday. It's like, well, it would take you two minutes. And I say, it will take me two minutes next Thursday when my mind is there. Right now, it'll take me an hour and I'm going to fuck it up because my mind's not there. So basically, the idea of just focusing until I get this done, which is 10 days from now, essentially, for the music at least, you know, and then I can kind of take other things a little, a little slower, but the bulk of it is the next 10 days. And then I can get back to doing concerts because I really do appreciate it. If you're listening and you support what I do and you in a time like this, purchase shit from me. 
I mean, I appreciate it in ways that I can't express because there's no reason to. You don't have to. You know, why do you have to do any of that? It's all on YouTube or Spotify or whatever. So that's why we wanted to make the box set for something this crazy. Um, super elaborate. So it's a thing, you know? It's like, so if you buy this thing, it's not like you're buying the music, although it's on there. Various versions are on there and stems and all that sort of thing. It's just like, if you're going to support what I do, I want to make sure that it's a two-way street. I am 60 minutes and 42 seconds into this, and I have not said a word about ghost. <sighs> I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go eat dinner, and then I'm going to come back and talk about ghost. All right? See you in a minute. <sighs> okay. That's how you time travel. In that little gap that we have experienced here on the podcast, I have just eaten my body weight in carbohydrates, which typically impairs my ability to put together sentences. So the rest of this uh, may be compromised. Pierogies, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know, in Canada, we don't have necessarily a national food, but I grew up with those. And I think they're Ukrainian or Polish or, or whatever they are, but they're essentially little potato dumplings filled with potatoes that you have with sour cream and onions. And they're good, but they make your body go, oh. <laughs> but the pierogi bloat has been part of my youth and now adulthood so I'm, I'm down with it where were we I was I was talking shit about puzzle well not talking shit I was talking about puzzle and now I'm supposed to talk about ghost not because I'm obligated but because I said this was about ghosts in the beginning so ghost was an album that ultimately was the end game of the DTP, of the four record Devin Townsend project. I knew since the very beginning that Ghost was going to be the, the climax of it. And I think as these themes tend to repeat themselves in my work, DTP was just a, a a prolonged example of that same theme I've been working at where it starts with the unknown and then it goes to a resolution and then it goes to working through the baggage and then on the other side of it is some sort of um, awareness I guess and ghost was that I guess in a similar sense the puzzle and snuggles such a stupid word love it is an updated version of Deconstruction and Ghost. Except much different. It's, you know, both Deconstruction and Ghost were song-oriented. Even though Deconstruction was abstract music, it was still songs. And Puzzle isn't. So I guess if you're going to draw a conclusion between Snuggles and, and Ghost, it's that same sort of drifting 
ambient vibe, but it's a lot more orchestrated. And it's not songs like Feather or Fly. And Puzzle in relationship to deconstruction is in many regards much more abstract and a lot dirtier. Like it's it's a dirty sounding record. But when I was doing the DTP, I remember working towards Ghost and being very excited about it. One of the main reasons I was excited about it was I don't know if I've mentioned, but when I was a kid, what I used to do in order to get some sleep at night, I've always sort of had issues with sleep, is I would play music and loop it. And uh, when I was a kid back in 1714 or whenever it was, we had cassettes. And I had this silly cassette player that would make this huge dramatic clunk every time it changed sides and it would play the other side of the cassette and when I was really young I would listen to Led Zeppelin to go to sleep I would listen to uh, Led Zeppelin 3 or physical graffiti and and I did I you know I was a, I was a Zeppelin fan and a Pink Floyd fan when I was a kid but the record that kind of changed everything was this kind of subdued, dark, kind of new agey record by a duo, a husband and wife duo. And the band was called Emerald Web. And there were two albums that I played more times than I can count. Honest, and I still play it. Main one, Valley of the Birds. And there was even the motif of that first song on Valley of the Birds ended up finding its way into the song Earth Day off of Terria. And Soundtrack was their other one. And a lot of the, I guess, quote-unquote, New Age music that you hear has got that kind of John Tesh, E-piano, everything sort of in a major key, and there's synthesized bamboo flutes playing in the background and I've always found that sort of music really saccharine it just didn't you know it was never really my thing but ambient sort of new agey music that was dark I was really into and Emerald Web was that I think it's even on Spotify it's from the early, early 80s, like very independent, sort of, it's just synthesizers and flute, basically, and that whole scene that was happening at the time, I don't know how I stumbled on it. Actually, I do. It was my, it was my literature teacher in grade eight, I imagine, and he had us put our heads on the table and listen to these tapes and then write what it made us feel. And the tape that he had chosen was was Emerald Web. And I remember when I first heard it, I remember liking it, but it didn't it didn't like affect me in the ways that it ultimately ended up affecting me. And I think the reason it did affect me is I went on an academic camp in eighth grade, where we went to this island and you know, we all got to put together these virtual communities and get together with people from other school district and 
And that was the first relationship I ended up in was when I went on this this uh, vacation. And the soundtrack to that was was this Emerald Web cassette, Valley of the Birds and soundtrack. soundtrack. And the husband and wife team that did it was Cat Apple on flute and her husband, Bob Stoll. So uh, during Ghost, I remember thinking, well, that sound of the flute, and it wasn't just Cat's work, but it was also uh, Paul Horn. He uh, had an album called Inside that he had done at the Taj Mahal and Traveler, more so than even Inside. There was an album in the 80s he did called Traveler that I just loved the sound of the flute with reverb on it. I just loved it. So when Ghost came around, I thought, okay, well, this is my opportunity to make a record that has that kind of sound. And I thought, well, on a whim, I wonder what Cat is doing. I've never met her, obviously. And so I just looked up on the internet, Cat Apple, and I was like, oh, okay, that's that's Cat. That's the lady that had done Valley of the Birds and soundtrack. And so I thought, well, I mean, it doesn't hurt to just send her a mail. And I did, and I said, you know, my name is Devin, and I'm a musician, and your work was really impactful on me as a kid. Really impactful. And I'm doing a project now, and I would love to be able to inquire whether or not I could hire you to play on this. And she sent a mail back, and, you know, very polite, and she said, you know, I... I I, I do that every now and then, but I'm also very busy and and nothing disparaging at all, but just just that. And I said, okay, well, maybe I could send you some of the material. This is at least how I recall it. And I did, and I think she uh, she thought it was really cool. So she wrote back and said, oh, I, I didn't realize you were actually like signed and doing doing this that and the other thing I'd like to participate and then we spent the next six months four months maybe going back and forth and her putting flute on it and it was a wonderful experience for a number of reasons but first and foremost this was somebody whose music when I was a kid shaped a lot of how I functioned a lot of the reason why I ended up in this kind of you know, a kind of an, an anomaly in the heavy music scene is that my influences from a very young age were, were not just Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Metallica. A lot of it was, you know, West Side Story and New Age music and soundtracks and The Dark Crystal and Def Leppard or Enya or, or things like this that were left of center, right? So when I finally became interested in Carcass and, and you know death metal, Morbid Angel and all these things. What I was bringing into that was a background of things that were kind of unique, I guess, within that scene. And Cat was a huge part of that. And since that time, uh, we've become friends. And that's just, it's wonderful. I love Cat. And just just wonderful, wonderful player total free spirit just just a beautiful musician and she's since performed on Casualties of Cool and uh, 
and puzzle. She is all over puzzle now. She's not only played flute, but she's played synths and, you know, she's on the Snuggles record as well. And it's just one of those things, you know, it's like people who the music affected you and just somewhere along the line, it just things lined up and you become friends, right? And um, Katrina Natal was the female singer on Ghost. And I met her while I was producing a band called Sights and Sounds. And uh, they were a bunch of members of the band Comeback Kid. And they did a, a, a side project called Sights and Sounds. That was one of my favorite records that I've worked with, with another band. And Katrina uh, and the guitar player Adrian were in a relationship. And she sang on the Sights and Sounds record. And she's one of the first singers that I had participated with that just really her voice really really affected me and I, I I mean I'm so fascinated with the sound of of women's voices that I can imagine from the point of view of somebody who is a, a woman singer you know you have some guy making a big deal about it it could come across as this or that or the other thing but I just loved and continue to love Katrina's voice and her and Adrian uh, actually recorded vocals for Snuggles as well so Katrina's voice was was a, just a huge part of this one for me too I just I just love her voice it was just really really sweet and really pure on the drums it was Mike St. John I knew he was a drummer even though we had worked together in you know a multitude of different formats one day I was just like you know we get along really well why don't we try and jam and I had these songs for Ghost and I just we went straight into the studio we mic'd up his drums and I showed him the songs in the studio and we just tracked it straight away on uh, keyboards it was Dave Young who uh, was also a very intuitive musician and was very sensitive to the, the, the effect that I was trying to achieve with Ghost, and he did a, an absolutely fantastic job. I played bass. Who else is on this one? On Ghost. I recorded a lot of it at my buddy Ryan Dahl's studio, who is um, a Vancouver musician that was in bands in Canada, Age of Electric and Limb Lifter, and we have a very strange relationship, but uh, it's a good one, and he's uh, exceptionally talented, so he was involved. But Ghost was a record that I made simultaneous to Deconstruction, and it was just a real... It was a real pleasure to make that one, because I've always wanted to make something like that. In fact... In a lot of ways, Ghost ended up being a lot more song-oriented and a lot more, not intense, because clearly it's not an intense record, but a lot of what it was meant to be in the beginning was like the song Infinite Ocean. It was meant to be like an ambient New Age record. But I ended up writing songs, and as you do. But it still ended up hitting the mark for me. I remember thinking when it was done that it was... It was an appropriate bookend to the Devon Townsend Project. 
And it became sort of an archetype for, for things to come. And I would imagine that the second album that I've made that is anywhere near that is certainly Snuggles. I would say like like Puzzle is a combination of Deconstruction and Ghost. No, Deconstruction and Dev Lab. Snuggles is a combination of Ghost and The Hummer. But it was a frantic period as well. To get all those records done, it required a type of strat- uh, strategy that um, didn't allow a lot of time to participate in the vibe of each. Like, as soon as I finished Key, I was on to Addicted. As soon as I finished Addicted, I was already starting Deconstruction. At the same time I was recording Deconstruction, I was mixing Ghost. It's, it was a lot of work. But I think one thing that, that was really important for me to recognize at that time as well is is life at certain points the pace in which experiences um, present themselves are sometimes much quicker than other times and I think because at that point we just had kids and I had quit strapping and and I was working on all you know all sorts of different things lifestyle wise that were were new the inspiration was just an onslaught. It's like you couldn't finish it quick enough before something else showed up. And although I'd say that would still be the case now if I allowed it to be, I think I'm a little more discerning now with with um, what the output is. So there's certain there's certain things that are going to really check a box for me and there's things that are going to be less in line with what I was feeling. And this may not be the case for the people who participate in it, but for me it's important now that it's exactly what it should be. Ghost Deconstruction Addicted Key, they were really close to being what they should be. The closest being Key. Maybe Deconstruction. Uh, Addicted there was a couple things on Addicted that I, I was, you know, I thought I could have maybe gone a little further with. There's a couple things on Ghost that I, I thought I could have, you know, refined a little more. Not a, in terms of its, of, its, uh, of its content and its actualization, but just in terms of conceptually. Had I had more time, I think I could have uh, dove into that a bit more. Oh, man, I've been rambling this one. Holy cow. Well, listen, I have only a, another week and a half until Puzzle and Snuggle is history. It's important for me. It has been so important for me to do this, and it perfectly summarizes how I felt. That's not to say that it's going to be an appealing project to people. However, if early reports are not just, you know, smoke up my ass. Uh, People think it's really cool. It's like a colorful, infinitely kind of uh, layered and dynamically diverse painting in a weird way. And I love it. 
But the reason why it needed to happen is so I can now move on with a clean plate to the next actual record that I'm going to do. And I start that in June. Actually, I started in May, so directly after Puzzle is finished, I go straight into an actual record. So I would just ask, um, if you're kind enough to support this work, the box set that we're making for Puzzle, I think, is, is pretty over the top, and I think it will be worth your time. However, if this particular project is, is just not your cup of tea, uh, the next one, I think, is a lot more in line with what I've been known for. Who knows? I said that to a buddy the other day, and he says, Dude, you put out Dev Lab and Deconstruction and Hummer, like, years ago. I don't think you're going to shock anybody with what you do anymore. But I also don't want to uh, go out of my way to be, you know, to make something that is going to consciously just be of no use to people. But I think you may relate. If you've been through this pandemic, which I know you have, maybe it'll work for you. Hey, I'm rambling. I'm going to get back to work. I just wanted to catch up with you because, uh, as I've said, it means so much that I'm able to do this. And I wish that I had more time right now to sort of maintain my connection with people. But I'm almost done. And uh, the next thing I'm doing is I'm going to do the Ocean Machine album for a streaming concert. And then I've got a bunch more streaming things. i got to start puzzle. I'm My fingers are crossed that I can get into the UK vaccination-wise to do Bloodstock. But I'm very grateful for everything and for the audience and for my ability to do this and for my friends, for my life, for my body, you know, for my mind, for my family, for the ups, for the downs. I'm grateful for it all. I really am because I think life is here. It's like a curriculum, you know, I'm here to learn <laughs> and then you die. Maybe I'm not here to learn. Maybe I'm just here to like hump. I don't know. If that's the case, I'm I'm not doing a great job. <laughs> uh, all right. I'll talk to you soon. Please take care of yourself. On that note, lots of love. This is Dev out. <laughs>